Mountain Time on your Thursday, 5 o'clock here on Fan Run Radio. Russell Bear and Marcus back with you. Another hard-hitting hour of the drive coming your way right now. Christopher Gabriel, KMJ Fresno, scheduled to join in 20 minutes right now. Marcus Young has your top five at five. It's brought to you by National Law Rex. Marcus, hit me. Thank you, Russell. At number one, Vols Baseball is tabbed to win the SEC East. They also boast four preseason all-SEC selections. Are we getting rid of the divisions in baseball, too, once we expand? Maybe. We probably should. Probably. Uh, the Volunteers were selected by the league's 14 head coaches to win the SEC East Division after garnering 90 uh, total points and receiving 12 of the possible 13 first-place votes. However, LSU was picked to not only win the Western Division, but was favorite to win the league. They also led all Eastern Division teams with four players earning preseason All-SEC honors and was tied for the overall SEC lead with two first-teamers and starting pitchers Dolander and Burns. Junior transfer Ahuna uh, was tabbed as a second-team shortstop, while veteran right-hander uh, Camden was also named to be the second team as a relief pitcher. Camden was? Yes. Second team? Yes. It's an outright. One of those guys on his list. I'm trying to find. Uh, That's right, know? young Marcus. I wondered if you remembered. Camden Sewell, Princeton Fant, Triple J. I know your three sport favorites. I pay attention, Bear. I want to know, and they don't have this at utsports.com. Where can I find this? Maybe SEC Sports. What do you want to know? I want to know what the rest of the order was in the SEC East as far as predicted finish. Like who was, I'm assuming Vanderbilt was picked second behind us. SEC Sports website is kind of worthless, isn't it? Yeah. LSU picked to win the league, the conference championship. Florida was picked second in the East. Vandy was picked third. Carolina fourth. Georgia, Kentucky, Mizzou. LSU obviously picked to win the West, followed by A&M, who got one first-place vote. A&M's supposed to be strong this year, huh? Yep. Arkansas picked third. Ole Miss, your defending national champions, picked fourth. Bama fifth. Auburn sixth. Mississippi State, who won the national title two years ago, is picked dead last. What a wild and funky sport. Very much. That and it, it seems like as much as we talk about how we dominate college football, I mean, the SEC, they've got the most dominant baseball conference now. No first teamers on the uh, position on, on playing in the, in the field. Yeah. I mean, that's not surprising. Team. I was a little surprised Ahuna wasn't. Maybe it's because he's a newcomer here. But the rest of them really didn't surprise me because we're basically re- replacing all the fielders from last year, correct? Yeah, there's so many guys, though, that I think could – I think Ahuna gets on their name by name recognition. He could be first team by the time it's all said and done. But I'm looking oh, at – I think we got a bunch that could uh, do that. Yeah, I'm looking at Griffin Merritt. I'm looking at Jared Dickey. I'm looking at uh, the third baseman from Alabama, Denton. Uh, Christian Burke. Moore, Burke. Yeah, like all those guys. Like, I, it wouldn't surprise me if we see multiple guys fight their way into recognition. They're just so not household names yet. From right to left, who do we have in the outfield? Or he's starting day one well, in the I outfield. Mean, we'll have Tony on Monday, and hopefully he, yes. 
he's already said you're going to see different starting outfield combinations in pretty much all three of those games. Sweet. But I've heard Dickey is going to play center field, which is really interesting. You getting a little excited about baseball? A little excited. Freaking fired up over here. I think Griffin Merritt's going to be your left fielder. I think Dickey's going to play in there. And then you got Kyle Booker. Um, that that might be how it ends up. He's going to bring the thunder on the mound. Shaking out. At number two, in the NBA, we had some big trades going on because of the trade deadline happening today. Biggest name, obviously, Kevin Durant will be traded to the Phoenix Suns, joining uh, what will probably be the favorite out west now. You also have uh, Russell Westbrook being traded to the Utah Jazz while the Lakers are getting uh, they are getting returned. D'Angelo Russell, the big piece there. And then also involved news is Josh Richardson will be leaving the Spurs to head to New Orleans and be a Pelican. The Suns kind of went all in on Durant. They traded away some draft picks, and they're, they kind of mortgaged the whole future on yeah, the championship with yeah, 34-year-old Durant and see if he can get one with Booker and Ayton while they're together. Well, I, I don't even, I'll be honest with you. I don't even think they're thinking Ayton because Ayton has been very shaky, uh, really? especially since the offseason. Like, his commitment to the Suns really? is not strong right now. So, I think – I always forget that he he's like he's in the NBA. Oh, I'm more NFL than NBA, but I I pay attention. But yeah, no, it, it's more of a Chris glad Paul, one of us does Chris yeah. Paul uh, Booker trio rather than Aiden. Aiden's more of the fourth guy now. In my see, opinion. I, I want I would love to see Chris Paul get his championship, but what too? I, uh, I didn't know that Chris Paul was still playing. Now with Durant on that team, it's like I don't know. I, I find Booker hard to root for because he played at Kentucky and he's got he's a weird a punk. face. I love their jerseys. He's got though. a weird face. He's got a weird face. He kind of does, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. I like this weird Devin baby Booker. face thing happening. I, yeah. I don't like it. Man baby. Yeah. At number three, NFL PA's Demora Smith pushes to end the NFL scouting combine. It's interesting. He offers a regional pro day as an alternative. Regional Pro Day. So the NFL uh, scouting combine has been around since 1982, the same year the league uh, began tracking individual players' sacks. Kind of fun fact there for you. Uh, for years, it's been viewed as an opportunity for prospects to climb up draft boards, climb up draft boards with stand-up performances and a uh, variety of drills. But uh, in December, Troy Vincent, NFL's executive vice president of football operations, likened the combine to quote a meat is, market. Uh, a person meat market, if we oh. shall. A very specific. I don't like know if I can. Well, no, I mean, you can say it. Uh, he called it a slave auction. Oh, go there. Um, <laughs> I knew where he was going. I, I just didn't they, feel comfortable uh, saying it. I was like, I don't know if I can. Call me crazy. You didn't say it. Being an did. NFL football player making millions of dollars to play a game seems a lot better than, you know. Slavery, the worst evil perpetrated on fellow human beings. I mean, I the criticism Demory Smith said was it yeah. was teams are basically just looking for reasons not to draft guys, and so he, you know he's a player union guy. Like he he doesn't he's trying to make it easier for players to make money. Right at the end of the day, and part of me says that yeah, you probably could just do it with the pro days that the schools have. You send your scouts, your teams over there. You look, you meet with the players there. But the combine does make it easier. Another bad thing about the combine, though, is like we were talking about Jerome Carvin not getting the combine invite. 
like it you know people are excluded that can obviously big be good players i don't think brock purdy went to the combine well, i think that's year. the other thing if you go to regionals you're going to get a look at a lot more players would you like the the full quick quote from him about what he said he points out as soon as you show up you have to waive all your medical rights you're not only have to sit there and endure embarrassing questions i also think that's horrible and i don't want to poo-poo on all of that but would you want your son to spend hours inside an mri machine and then be evaluated by 32 separate team doctors who are by the way only doing it for one reason what's that reason to do to decrease your draft value if at the end of that horrible ordeal my son gets a million dollars yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i would want him to to go through that that's yeah i could do that at number four minor league hockey team has to forfeit their game after the home team no shows what fans filled into the rink for a minor league hockey game vendors sold concessions and visiting team took the ice for warm-ups national anthem played and officials (laughs) were ready to drop the puck one problem was missing one thing the home team didn't show up the whole bizarre scene unfolded after the weekend at what was supposed to be a Southern Professional Hockey League game. That's in, our league. That's what Illinois. the Ice Bears play in. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's between Quad City Storm and the host, uh, the Vermilion Country or County Bobcats. After a two-minute delay of game penalty and a five-minute waiting period, the game was declared a forfeit. Where's the team just not print the schedule that had to be some kind of miscommunication well, right the uh, county bobcats are in last place they've lost 77 of their 86 games and it's two years of existence so uh i think they're going to be folding based on this thing i'm reading the guys weren't getting paid. so i think they're just they just don't care <laughs> well hold on a minute i mean this is like you've been to an ice bears game right yeah i love it that's professional sports yeah. teams just not going to not show up to their own home game like they see a program at the arena at their latest practice like they know they've got a game there's some there's more to that story there's got to be well one so this is how it reads they are now concerned that the last place uh team bobcats which has lost 77 of its 86 games in two years of existence will fold mid-season yeah I'm that would reduce a- the number of teams from 11 to 10 in the sphl uh, which is a rung below the ECHL. So, who yeah, knows? I'm looking at uh, Danville News here. Vermilion County Bobcats' existence as a Vermilion. team has ended. Yeah. Danville, that's a great name, and yeah. Vermilion. But is so, a great you, would, name. you would think like somebody would, I, I don't know, pick up the phone and say, uh, call somebody, hey, um, I understand you have an arena full of fans and another team has driven up here on a bus. Like, imagine how pissed off you're that team. Like we drove, we, the minor league hockey bus rides are legendary for being just awful. Yeah. And you wasted one. Yeah. Well, apparently I, I read further to the visiting team, try to get their fans some money's worth by inviting them on the ice afterwards to kind of skate around and stuff like that. So that was kind of cool of them. Uh, finally, at number five, Chick-fil-A is testing its first plant-based sandwich. No, oh, no, not you too, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is jumping on the plant-based bandwagon. The Atlanta chain the said hell Thursday are they thinking? that it's testing its first uh, plant-based entree. Impossible chicken. A breaded cauliflower sandwich. Apparently, it, they said that they're calling Even it. Even Lucas Panzeca is somewhere going, that sounds terrible. 
Their culinary team spent four years developing the sandwich after guests told the chain they wanted to add more vegetables to their diet. They tested mushroom, chickpeas, and chopped vegetable forms of patties. Here's the thing, Chick-fil-A. They kept going back to cauliflower. When you give us these these surveys, we tell you we want more vegetables because that's what we want ourselves to say. That's what how we view ourselves. Oh, yeah, I want to eat more vegetables. We don't really want to eat more vegetables. If we wanted to eat more vegetables, you know what we're not doing? Going to Chick-fil-A. We go there to eat a greasy fried chicken sandwich and French fries. Like, the most health-conscious decision you're going to make at Chick-fil-A is maybe substituting a fruit cup for French fries. You're still eating that chicken sandwich. Don't worry about it, Chick-fil-A. Just be you. Stay in your lane. And we determined, too, that that Impossible Meat is, A, not any healthier for you no, than regular meat. No, because they got to pump so many chemicals and stuff to make it even remotely taste like meat. But also, B, it's, like, horrible for the environment. Oh, yeah. It was like so much worse yeah. than actual meat. It's like electric cars. Everybody's got lithium batteries and everything. Yeah. yeah. End on a downer there in Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Thank you, Marcus. Top 5 at 5 brought to you by National RX. Come see me out there tomorrow as we get your weekend kicked off fan run style. I'll have the Piping Hot Jets pizza for you. It's going to be fantastic out there in Farragut. Christopher Gabriel, KMJ Fresno coming up. In just a mere matter of moments, we actually talked to him last night. CG is so fired up, he couldn't wait for his preview. We, we had already scheduled him, mind you. Yeah. He already knew he was going to yeah. be on Fan Run, yeah. and he was like, you know what? I can't wait. I'm going to get on Voluntary Reaction too. I, I, I can't say a word. I live in a glass house. I go on other shows here at the station calling in just to start fires. Tennessee basketball. We out of the top ten next week? Oh, sure. Unless we just stomp a mud hole in Missouri. We lost to Vanderbilt, dude. Everybody knows Vanderbilt's garbage, including their garbage fans. They did not like you last night. I went back through that. Yeah. Did you realize there's like uh, 70 replies to that when you started? Oh, yeah. uh, I, dude, I know. I just discovered that it's last bad. night. It's bad. The Vandy fans, who knew there were so many of them, but uh, hey, man, we knew there Tennessee, were fan, Tennessee fans do the same thing. They really don't like it, though, when you tell them that Tony Vitello is bringing the broomsticks Ooh. out again. That really makes them mad. Yeah, that's that's their, uh, that's their Kool-Aid. That's their jam. Baseball. They, they won't engage on football. They just like no. have this weird thing where they just they've managed to pretend it doesn't exist as a sport. Yeah. It's not a thing. And that one win and 12 chances in basketball entitles them to a certain amount of trash talk, and perhaps it does. They won the game. Sure. The but kid you, made the shot. But, it, hey, it, and if you want to argue with them about that, they'll they'll argue with you kind of lightheart, almost lightheartedly. They'll have fun with you about the basketball thing. It's like, okay, it's Vandy fans, not so bad. But you talk to them about baseball. <laughs> you just mention the name Vitello. Like, they go Maynardville mad. And these are, like, highly educated people. These are, like, doctors and lawyers and stuff. They get mad on, online, and all of a sudden, they're acting like they're Justin down Hannah. in front of the Wartburg Walmart getting ready to yeah. go. They go all Justin Hanna. That's our baseball team. You ain't won nothing yet. You ain't won nothing yet. You ain't won nothing. You ain't won nothing, Maynard. We got two nitties. We won two nitties on titles. 
You ain't won nothing. Tony V ain't won nothing. Oh, he makes him mad. Furious. Love it, though. BK Vols says, uh, question, if Alabama wins the Natty in basketball this year, who will be more upset, Tennessee fans or Nick Saban? <laughs> oh. That's good. That's good, BK Vols. That's pretty good. I was sitting there thinking. I mean, I, I wouldn't welcome it, but I don't know. Jordan says, according to shot quality, Triple J is one of the worst players in the country and the worst on the team in the quality of shots he takes. He does here, – here's the thing about Triple J is he takes all those threes at the beginning of the game. It's not falling. Then he goes to the mid-range game, which he's okay, but it's an inefficient shot. Here's a theory I have about Tennessee and the mid-range. Everybody knows mid-range jumper, inefficient shot. Like, we've talked about that for yeah. years, right? That's It was revolutionary when the Rockets discovered it 10 years ago. and But now everybody plays that way. And Alabama and Arkansas have built their whole thing on it, like – yeah. A lot of teams are playing that way now. And and Rick Barnes, like last year, I thought that was a really interesting subplot is that we went away from that and yeah, stopped shooting. Yeah, he had shooting. a lot of success with it with Grant and Admiral and those guys. Like we still shoot more than some teams, but not as many as we did. Um, I think that some of these coaches know that it's like, hey, man, if we can chase them off the three-point line and not allow them the attempts – they're, they're going to start shooting these mid-range shots. They're worth one point less. Yeah, and we might give up some shots at the goal, but our big guys are so inefficient too. They're just like, hey, let's guard the three-point line, and they're going to start shooting these hyper-inefficient shots. I think – That's a book on us. I think that's working right now. I, th- I think it's happening. Yeah. When, when Ziegler missed that two-footer. Everybody – since Michigan, everybody <sighs> face guard Ziegler and the one uh, – not Ziegler, uh, Vescovy. And the one team that was – who was that? It was like a midweek game. Dumb as hell. They, like, decided they weren't going to – it was Georgia, wasn't it? Georgia wasn't really going to face guard Vescovy? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he had – he was good four luck, of eight buddy. from three last night. Like, he, he got good looks last night and, and made, like, made some clutch shots. Open looks, knocked him down. We need more of that. We need one more of those. We need to go five of eight. Quick timeout. The drive continues. When we come back, Christopher Gabriel of KMJ Fresno joins the festivities. I'm sure it'll be a docile, lifeless appearance from him. (laughs) Stay tuned. More Fan Run Radio coming up next. Back here on the drive. Fan Run Radio, Russell Bear, Marcus, cruising with you. Benny Slots helping out on the podcast this afternoon. Everything going good there? All right, he gives me the two thumbs up. Time now to head back to the Big Orange Phillies phone lines where Christopher Gabriel is standing by in Fresno, California, KMJ Central. Good afternoon, CG. How are you, sir? I am doing great. This has been a day that, uh, for me, started at 3.30 a.m. Pacific, and it has gone nonstop to the extent that I have been salivating to get on with you guys today because this is sort of the break in the day for me, but it's not really a break because I realize what we're going to be talking about, and I start getting a little, like I'm breaking a sweat, (laughs) the hair on the back of my neck standing up. You were just talking about two thumbs up. There were no thumbs up last night. There were no thumbs up in that little gym, the 
they call a basketball arena out in Nashville. I mean, I don't know where you want to start here, but um, I mean, I, I, oh. I have to be careful because Ronaldo Valtteri reacts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's keep it clean now. There are children listening. Well, um, you, we've never had that problem with me, though. No, no, not, not you. Uh, maybe some other people I work with. But uh, <laughs> CG, you keep using the word break, and it feels like we might have come to a breaking point last night with uh, not just the fans, but this team. I feel like this team's at a crossroads, CG. Some really difficult games coming up. I feel like they've got to make some changes. I don't think you can, if you're Rick Barnes, I don't think you can just get in the film room and really lean into it and just stay the course, that kind of thing. I don't. You don't have to go wholesale changes, but you got to tweak some things. You got to try some different things because clearly what has been going on the last two weeks is not working anymore. Well, I agree with you right across the board here, and I, I'm going to see if I can roll this out in a way that makes sense. Uh, let's start with Rick Barnes. And my body of work on your program and certainly on social media is one that for people who know me know I'm a, a Rick Barnes fan and I'm a supporter. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to be critical of him and I'm going to be critical of him. And I'm going to start with the post-game nonsense where he's, he's seeking out Jerry Stackhouse and giving him a big hug and telling him how proud he is of Jerry. Hey, you know what? That's great in late November or December, but don't bring me that stuff in February when your team is still ostensibly trying to fight for the SEC championship and a number one seed or a number two seed, and instead you seem more inclined to gush about Jerry Stackhouse. That, that, that post-game moment should have been handshake, pat on the arm, nice game, coach, and be done with it. So that tells me a little bit about where his head is at. And I know there's a whole bunch of Rick Barnes apologists out there probably appalled at that. Quite frankly, I don't give a damn. That's number one. To your breaking point, I found myself sitting here thinking, where are we at here? Where are we at? Let's look at this really quite broadly. The Vols right now are sitting at 8-3 and three in the conference, 19-5 and five overall. And you can make one argument that says, well, come on, CG, they're 19-5. and five. Come on, they're 19-5. and five. But it's, it's the way they've lost games. It's the style of play they have employed. And I'm going to go to something I posted the other day from the legend, the great Pat Summit. In a halftime speech to her team, it was a Kansas Parker team, she used the word urgent or urgency, I believe, five times. This team, these last three games, and again, for people who don't know me, I love the Vols. I've been a fan for 50 years. But this team has played like hot garbage. There's no urgency. There is no sense of urgency out there. The lack of basketball acumen and basketball IQ, their basketball IQ lately has rivaled that of an acorn. I mean, look no further than the perfect storm that was, uh, you know, Phillips going in for what should have been an absolute rim rattler, but he didn't. You have Vescovy, who is, I love Vescovy, and I love Phillips. Vescovy, who is gold with free throws in the last two minutes of a game, misses. And then, inexplicably, it's a, he leaves his man to double a guy going, going down, the, down the, the lane, 
at a minimum, let the guy go. Keep your guy covered in the corner. It's basketball one-on-one. It was a perfect storm of nonsense. So let's go. Let's go to the to the Phillips non-dunk, non-dunk. I I've read involved fans saw a freshman mistake and stuff happens that maybe he was going to miss the dunk. Just stop with that, please. This is a guy who was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. He played in all-star games, invited all-star games. He played high school basketball at a high level. Last night was game number 24 in his uh, in his career as a Division One player. He has made that play angling at about 45 degrees to the bucket. He had the angle on a potential uh, defender. The only way that defender is stopping him is by tackling him. He has got to dunk that basketball. And I believe the reason he did it, no, it's not a freshman mistake. I, I firmly believe he had a little Rick Barnes on his shoulder, and he was hearing Coach Barnes saying, let's play smart now. We don't, we don't, need, we don't need a basket here. And in many situations, that methodology is right. You know, when, you, when you're going down and maybe you've got a six or seven point lead and just don't give the guys a chance. No, not in that situation. So we are at a point right now where we lack urgency, we lack focus, we lack intensity, we lack any sense of direction right now, and something does need to give. The other thing I would say is why doesn't this team push the ball? Where is the transition game, Russ and Bear and company? Where is the transition game? I watch whether it's Euros or whether it's Triple J, whomever, Kamwa, clearing the board, and what do I see? Ziegler, who I love as well, or Vescovy going under the basket to be the three-foot outlet pass. Where is the outlet pass to the wing? The ball then comes to the middle. Guys fill lanes, and the number five, you know, whether it's Kamwa, Euros, whoever, is the trail. This team has so much athleticism, and they don't use it, and it makes me nuts. So for those who want to say, well, they're 19-5, and five, yeah, that's right, but they lost to a, an awful Florida team. And we can say, oh, they're desperate. and they're They never should lose to that Florida team. They played Auburn like it was 1950s, and Hank Iba was on the sideline. And then last night, they lose to a then 11 and 12 ninth place Vanderbilt team. I don't want to hear about rivalry. I don't want to hear about the gym. I don't. Want, they should have annihilated them. Did Alabama? I agree. I granted they were playing uh, in Alabama. Did Alabama have any problems with Vanderbilt? So I'm with you to bring this full circle. Something must happen, Russ. This team. I think now, as somebody who has been uh, very glass half full. Something is clearly amiss with this basketball team right now. Christopher Gabriel, KMJ Fresno, with us this afternoon on the Big Orange Phillies phone lines here on Fan Run Radio. And, Chris, you look at the upcoming schedule, and uh, rough waters ahead. You've got Mizzou this weekend, uh, number nine in the nation, Kim Palm offensive efficiency. This is a team that wants to run. This is a team that wants to score. We all know the deal with Alabama next week. You've got a resurgent Kentucky uh, team after that. A&M on the road after that. Arkansas coming in here, a trip to Alabama. Um, CG, they got to figure some things out, man. This has a, uh, you know, talk me off the ledge here. I, I'm looking at this thing and, oh, my God, this thing is about to snowball. 
Yeah, I yeah I, I hear you, and I'm, I'll try to talk <laughs> you off the ledge. Uh, or you could get up on the ledge with me here. We'll jump well, together like Thelma and Louise. Off the cliff we go. Woo-hoo. You know that Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You know they go they go off the edge. <laughs> that's together. a better. I like that analogy better. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's you know it's a little more manly. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, you know you look at Mizzou coming in, and the Mizzou game. Are we not saying the same thing now about Mizzou that we said about Auburn? Well, Auburn's coming in. They're a decent team, but we're going to get it all together. We're going to be – and they, they win 46-43. All right, well, you know what? We're going to Vandy. And, you know, we've had some issues there at the time, but we're, it's Vandy. We're going to be – well, now we're saying the same thing about Mizzou. And Mizzou has – I've seen them a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. They've looked a lot better than they have all season. And Mizzou has to be licking their chops, thinking, we are getting Tennessee at the right time. I think I saw this somewhere on social media. Uh, we've become the teams that, to right the ship. You know, if you have any problems, uh, whether you win or lose, we're going to make you feel better about yourselves. Um, I don't know if Barnes needs to shuffle the lineup a little bit. I don't know if Barnes needs to take the the blinders off a couple of guys. I would put Phillips at the top of that list. You've got a major talent who, you know, who may be one and done, and he's not ready for the NBA, but you've he's got to let these guys play. You've got Mizzou coming up, and then you have Alabama on the 15th. And, oh, Lordy, I, I, at this point, I'm just hoping they don't run us out of the gym by halftime. Uh, you know, that, that team is just frightening. And then you've got Kentucky, who will find a way to be a Final Four team on February 18th. And then we have to go to Texas A&M. Uh, it, it doesn't look good. The only way that you and I are going to climb down off the ledge safely and go for a beverage and a hot wing somewhere is if this team figures out who they are and starts playing some basketball maybe a little bit more intelligently. I mean, I saw a stat today. A friend sent me a stat, and I sent it to you, that I think it was 87 or 89% of Alabama's points either come from beyond the arc or at, you know, at the rim. And while some will say, well, that's Alabama, Tennessee actually has the shooters, guys who can shoot the basketball, and guys who can elevate and play above the rim. But we don't do that. We are so hell-bent on playing this game between 8 and 18 feet. I just think, Russ, that if you and I are going to come down off the ledge together, and I don't know, maybe it's too late for this this year, Rick Barnes has to say, you know what, this is three straight games now. Stuff ain't working. We need to let these guys go and just let them play. And to let them play, it doesn't mean to not have any structure, but it means let their athletic gifts, come to the forefront and do what they do. I think we might see something a little different. Maybe we might see the Tennessee team that we saw against Gonzaga, against Texas, against Kansas, and so on. We have not seen that team. Texas was, what, a couple of weeks ago? We have not seen that team since. In my humble opinion, Chris, I I look at it, and I think Bruce Pearl – when he was here, young Bruce Pearl, I don't know what uh, this shell of a man that's ambling around SEC arenas, cursing out fans, threatening to fight. I don't know who that imposter is, but uh, the the old Bruce Pearl that we like to think of in the orange blazer, the suspenders and everything, was great at getting his guys to be confident, imbuing them with a sense of confidence and self-assuredness, even when it wasn't necessarily earned. And they went out there and played above their heads. And I see that now in uh, Nate Oates at Alabama. I see it in Eric Musselman, where he gets these guys to play even better than they're capable of at times. 
and you know we're we're piling on Barnes here a little bit. He look, he pay, makes six million a year. He can handle it. He's a big boy. Um, I not just him, Calipari too. These old school coaches, I think they browbeat their guys sometimes. And I would just like to see because you're right. They've got some athletes on this team. They've got some players on this team. We've seen what they're capable of. I wish Coach Barnes would figure out a way to pump some confidence into these guys so that they're not going out there overthinking, oh, the little Rick Barnes on their shoulder. It's such a great line. Like, not worrying about what Coach Barnes is going to say and instead just going out there and being aggressive. If they do that, there's no way Missouri stays on the floor with them this weekend. I don't know what happens against Bama and Kentucky, but there's no way that Missouri team should be able to match up man for man with Tennessee this weekend. Well, you're right, and I'm, I'm going to touch on, on uh, Musselman in just a minute because I covered him out here in, in the Mountain West. And, look, to be fair, I mean, I, I really believe that there needs to be a sense of balance here and what I'm offering as well. Look, no, I don't dislike Rick Barnes. I opened everything up by saying, you know, I'm, I'm a fan, I'm a supporter, and he's the coach of the team that I root for, the team that I follow, the team that I sweat over. I want nothing but the best for this team. And you're right. The man makes $6 million. He's a big boy. He can take it. And if I had him on my show, I would say, Coach, things haven't worked right the last three games. Do you plan on making any sweeping changes either to the lineup or to what you're doing, how you're employing uh, yourself offensively because it, it's not working right now? And you mentioned Nate Oates and Musselman. Think about Musselman. The reason he has been able to be successful uh, at Nevada and certainly at Arkansas, and you asked me, when he went to Arkansas, you asked me on your show what I thought, and I said, watch out. Watch out because he, he takes transfer players like, you know, people have orange juice at breakfast or coffee, and he basically tells them, because, and his players out here said this, he basically tells them, this is the game that you play. This is, the game, this is, what, this is what I'm recruiting you for. I, I see that you have X, Y, and Z in your game. You know what? You're going to be able to do X, Y, and Z here at Nevada. Oh, now it's, you're going to be able to do X, Y, and Z at Arkansas. He takes players and allows them, encourages them, empowers them, enables them to be the player that they are, to show the full breadth of their offensive skills, not to mention what they can do defensively. And so by doing that, it does enable them with tons of confidence. Let's not look any further than just up the bend at Neyland Stadium. Josh Heifel in the Alabama game. I mean, Hendon Hooker said it flat out. Uh, Coach Heifel said, what do you want to do here? You want to play for overtime or do you want to go for the win? I want to just go for the win. All right, let's do it. I mean, he basically put it into Hendon Hooker's hands. What do you think? And what we saw with football this year was a team that largely the same personnel, certainly some, some changes in there, but you saw a team not hoping to win, not playing not to lose, but a team that expected to win. That is what we saw with Tony Vitello's guys, a team that expected to win, and if the other team was getting their feelings hurt, they were a little butt hurt out there because they didn't like a finger on the plate or they didn't like the way they were around the, around the bases. Tony V and his guys are like, hey, you know what? Well, that's too bad, isn't it? How about, you know what? Play a little better. See if you can beat us because we're going to keep doing this until you beat us. Well, this basketball team needs a little bit of that. And I don't know. I don't know that that is in the makeup of Rick Barnes. And this is why I asked on VR last night, who else on the bench? You know, who's the offensive expert on the bench? Is there anybody that can say, take Coach Barnes aside and say, hey, Coach, we're 19-5. and five. Uh, We might be looking at a three seed right now. 
guys are a little bit down. Guys aren't playing to their capabilities. Um, not for nothing. Here's what I, I want to propose to you. What do you think? And that's what I, I would love to hear one of his assistants do that because we're at a crossroads. We're, we have a schedule in front of us that looks nightmarish. But if the Tennessee that we have seen most of this year shows up, they will annihilate Missouri. And quite frankly, at the 10-minute mark last, last night, going the first 10 minutes of the game, if Tennessee was playing the way we know Tennessee can play, the game's over. The, the, you know, the Vandy kids are going back to the library. They're done. You know, it's interesting. You bring up the assistants, and I think that – you know, when, when Coach Barnes first got here, he had Rob Lanier, who had been with him for a while. And I think uh, Coach Lanier was probably comfortable enough in his own skin to challenge Rick Barnes when, when he saw fit, right? Not just, uh, right. you know, being insubordinate, but, uh, hey, here's something maybe we do a little bit differently. I think he had that in Mike Schwartz, who's at ECU now, yes. was kind of his right-hand man the past couple of years and, and goes way back with Barnes to Texas. And I, I do wonder because, you know, uh, Coach Ganey, who's a, a friend of the show, we have him on all the time, and um, it's his second year, though. It's his second year with Coach Barnes. Uh, Rod Clark, very young coach, is his second year. Greg Polinski, it's his second year in the program, on the staff. That's an interesting point, CG. I, I, I wonder how comfortable those guys are voicing different opinions behind yeah, the rooms. It, yeah, you know, it's it, it's a concern that I have, and you know, look, I, I was a ball player. Um, I was a, recru- a, a recruited ball player at the D1 level. I only say that because there's a lot of finite points in football that I'm going to approach when you and I are talking, when Bear and I are talking in the program, more as a fan, more as a broadcast journalist, as somebody who we're all kind of commenting. But I played this game. Uh, I was blessed to play this game, and at least I, I understand more of the intricacies of basketball and how a huddle works in the sideline, how a practice works, works, you know? And the reason I bring that point up is because Rick Barnes is, you know, is a Hall of Famer. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, he is, uh, he's a, you can be a legendary coach. Uh, there's different degrees of that, and he falls into that category. A lot of folks don't want to give him that, but, hey, look at his record. He's, he's won everywhere he's been, and, uh, and he's, he's earned that title, that moniker. But the double-edged sword of that is do his assistants have him on a, on a level, on a pedestal that they are, I'm not going to say afraid, Russ, but they, they have apprehensions. apprehensions. Well, they're, they're, just not, they're, they're just not comfortable enough yet, Chris. Yeah, to, right. And, that, right. and if they stay here for you know three or four more years, they will be eventually. And I don't know. I'm just assuming. Maybe they are. Maybe, maybe Justin Gady is sitting down with them right now saying, Coach, look, we got to shake some things up. I hope so, but uh, we'll find out. Chris, uh, last thing here, we'll let you run. Yeah. Like Just moving forward, what do you think we're going to see? Do you think that we'll see Rick Barnes try a fresh approach starting this weekend? Maybe new rotations. Maybe we see some new players. Maybe he puts B.J. Edwards, Freddie DeLeon, somebody in there. Shake things up. Try something new. Or do you think that he's going to stay the course? Let's not you know, react emotionally and overreact to one loss or a couple of bad games and one bad stretch. Just lean into it and hope that our methods work. Well, my gut tells my my wish is that he would change things up a little bit. Uh, but my gut tells me he's going to say there is no reason to overreact. We're 19 and five. 
We had a bad series of breaks in the last 10, 12 seconds. Uh, we didn't play well against Auburn. We didn't play well against Florida. But, but the core is here. The guys know what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish. We're just going to get back in the gym this week. We're going to get back in, into the practice facility, and we're going to work a little harder. We're going to run a little harder, and, and we'll see how it works out. At, at, a, at the most, Russ, I see maybe him changing up the rotation a little bit, trying some different combinations. But I don't think we're going to see them pushing tempo. I don't think we're going to see them suddenly going into you know half-court presses, full-court presses. And I, I, just, I just don't see them doing much different save for maybe trying a couple of different combinations of players and maybe that's enough maybe that's what we need to see hmm. team needs a win team needs yeah. a win uh the bama game looms large but you cannot overlook this missouri team that i mean <laughs> you talk about a snowball effect Ooh, yeah. i don't want to i don't want to contemplate it too much uh, the past you know 12 hours or so since the loss have been pretty rough chris oh there's there's no doubt and i mean i've taken a lot of a lot of text messages and emails uh, from uh, people and your friends in your audience, I, and certainly uh, some media guys out here saying, "What's going on with the Vols?" And it, we've had some of these same discussions. And I, and I think all the points that you have made, the questions you have, all of this is valid. And I just wonder. I, I guess the the thing that I look at with Coach Barnes is because he is he has been doing it so long, and he has ridden times with his teams. You know, whether you know you're talking about Texas before Texas here, he has ridden. Uh, you know, peaks and valleys as well as anybody. And so that's why I'm thinking he's probably erring on the side of, I think we're going to be fine. We just need to stay the course. But I think sometimes we, the younger coaches now are more inclined. Somebody like a Nate Oates or Eric Musselman are going to be more inclined to say, all right, I've seen this now for three games. In those three games, we're one and two. Let's toss the Kentucky game in there as well. We basically looked the same in all of those games, uh, one and three of those four games. We need to try a few different things here, and we're going to do that starting against Missouri. I, that's where I think a younger coach is more inclined to do that. Rick Barnes, he's a little bit more stoic, probably more set in his ways, probably less likely to do that. CG, we appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for jumping on, as always. Uh, anything else on your mind before we let you run for the weekend? Well, I'm just I'm interested to see what happens with the Super Bowl. Uh, this this weekend, I mean, I, you know, we've got uh, my family that lived in Philly forever. Uh, you've got the cheesesteaks against the steaks. Uh, huh. You know, Kansas City barbecue against South Philly cheesesteaks. And uh, I am riding with the Eagles this weekend. I think that Jalen Hurts and that offense is has got enough to counter what Patrick Mahomes, his magic, and what Kansas City wants to do. I, I think the Eagles are going to find a way to win this game. Has a chance to be a pretty good one. We'll be watching. CG, appreciate you, my friend. Have a great weekend. Love you guys. You're the best. Take it All easy. Right. Love you too, brother. Christopher Gabriel on the, almost said the uh, KMJ Fresno uh, phone lines. It's been a long, we did two, uh, two plus hours of this late last night, mm-hmm. three hours today. I'm about fried, Marcus. I can see it. The Big Orange Phillies phone lines. You check out Big Orange Phillies if you're looking for a Super Bowl party. They'll have the big game on. Big screen, high-definition TVs all over the place. 6625 Maynardville Pike in halls. Go check them out. Tell them Fan Run sent you. They're online at BigOrangePhillies.com. Final segment. Speak now. Forever hold your peace. 865-546-8200. Back to wrap things up after this.
Back here on the Drive Fan Run Radio, wrapping up on a Thursday, Thursday, Thursday afternoon edition of the show. Don't forget, tomorrow live at National Law Rex, Jets Pizza. Get you ready for big weekend, Super Bowl coming up, Tennessee basketball on Saturday, big bounce back game. Pretty much a must win against Mizzou at this point if you want to save your season. Christopher Gabriel, KMJ Fresno. Marcus, what did you learn? Bear took oh, off earlier. You yeah. Know, I was, should have been more. Well, I'll tell you one thing I did learn. Uh, obviously, CG is very passionate. Uh, and he is very, very uh, upset the way that this team is playing. We right all now. are, man. Er- everybody's pretty, pretty steamed right now, I would say. Well, one, one line he said that, that did make me wonder it was near the end of the call he said i wonder if like rick barnes is just stuck in his old ways talking about how like you know the adjustments that some coaches that will make like nate oats would make or musclemen or and i and it make it does make you kind of wonder is he is he a coach that's going to be able to uh pull out from his old habits and do what might be better for the team well, he's shown the ability to change. He changed his offense last year. And we've gone from, you know, an offensive team, better offensive than defensive team under Grant and Admiral to what it is now, a better defensive team. So I don't think he just does the same thing over and over again. I think he's evolved and changed through the years. Can he make a quick change, course change, in the middle of a season? I don't know. I don't, I don't think we've really seen that from him yet but I think they're gonna have to do something um to save this season and and and, you know you want to talk about a two seed you you saw a couple things go up in smoke last night you saw your chance to win a conference championship that's over you've got three conference losses Alabama even if you beat them they're not going to lose twice more so so that's done um one seed pipe dream uh, two seed is, I mean, you, you're going to have to do some damage. You've got seven difficult games left. Uh, you have to win at least five of them. You, uh, I mean, and, and that's if that happens, if they go five and two down the stretch here, you're going to have a couple of big wins coming up. So th- I think that'll get people back on board. and The losses will be frustrating. But if you win five of these, I mean, that's going to be you're, you're going to have beaten an Arkansas, Kentucky, and Rupp, uh, uh, Auburn, you know, somebody. You're going to have multiple quad one wins down the stretch here do you think that even with the sec like tournament do you think that could affect anything for us seed wise with the committee yeah like if even if we feel like you know that a second like first seed i I agree with you i think it's a pipe dream at this point i think we're gunning gunning for a two or three i don't know because they the sec the NCAA committee basically said the tournament doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Last year when Tennessee won it, and I haven't heard anything as far as them changing their thinking or anything like that, I think that the SEC tournament in Nashville may be a chance to exercise some demons. I mean, there's a pretty good chance you see one of these teams that you've lost to again. Winning it last year was cool. I don't think we were tired and it hurt us in the NCAA tournament. So, my inclination is to play to win that thing just because it's cool to win. Um, and I don't know that it helps you any in your – but it, it could get you on a roll. Like if, if the fan is, if the fan base is kind of like limping into that thing into postseason and you win three games or four games because nothing's guaranteed as far as the double buy at this point and you win the SEC tournament 
yeah, I, I think some people will be fired up again to to jump back in there and try it again in the SC, in the NCAA tournament. But right now, it's kind of like, ugh. Yeah. I, I just don't detect a lot of confidence from from the fans, certainly. The team doesn't look confident. They they look frustrated out there on the court. And I thought Rick Barnes, if you go and watch the video from his post-game press comments, was as frustrated as I've ever seen him Yeah. after that game. So we'll talk more about it tomorrow. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you, Ben Slotnick. We've got overtime headed your way next on many of these fine fan-run affiliates. Jake and the crew coming up 6 until 8. We'll do it again tomorrow right here on Fan Run Radio.